0: So we in the little we in the little Sigidigid, we in the little tongue. Pow bed and bed, we in the little bed This is telling the truth. My guest today is my very dear friend William Wright, and I've known him since we were both about 18 years old, which means we've known each other for more than two decades, and I'm delighted to be discussing a topic of mutual interest to us today and a person with whom both of us have had considerable and important, I would say, experience. Will, thanks for joining me.
1: Hi. <laughs> Hi. Um it's very I'm uh, very glad to be here.
0: How's it going in in your world today? How's it look?
1: Um it's uh it's a nice place. Um it's a little it's a little rainy, a little it's a nice day to sort of be inside and have a conversation.
0: Oh, perfect. Oddly enough today, you know, it's getting to be january and it looked like a spring day for all the world while I was outside which is nice for the sunshine but I also do kind of miss winter time when the calendar says winter time and the outdoors doesn't look like it so I was kind of I was kind of wistful for something a little bit colder but we'll have snow if we do and not if we don't i suppose mhm but hey, I guess there's there's a lot worse that could happen to you in your life than you were enjoying the Greek sunshine in December. You know, That's <laughs> yeah, probably I, not the worst thing that could happen to one.
1: Yeah, I'm reminded of being in, in Southern California and feeling like it was this very strange sort of a winter. Yes. Uh, you get 90-degree you get days and stuff like that. Right, right. It's a little right. bit disorienting, but, you know. It's colder than yeah, it usually. We usually have actually.
0: a little bit colder weather than we're doing right now, but, but I'll hang. I'll hang. So let's introduce the person we're discussing today. I'll preface it a little bit for anybody who's listening who has no idea who this is or what we're talking about. So, Will and I have a friend who is also a teacher, and dare I say, our teacher. His name is Jerry Stocking, J-E-R-R-Y-S-T-O-C-K-I-N-G, Jerry Stocking. Anyone listening could certainly Google his name and find out stuff about Jerry. But what we're going to do today is a little bit different than what you could have happened to you if you just did a Google search on his name. We've both been studying with Jerry since we were young men, since we were in our early 20s. And because both of us have been studying with him for quite some time, there is an arc of our lives which has been, in no small part, in no small way, influenced by Jerry's teaching, by Jerry's work, and by Jerry the man, who he is. So we're going to talk about Jerry Stalking today. And truth be told, Will, I have absolutely no idea where to jump in when talking about Jerry Stalking. How about this? If you had (laughs) to tell somebody in five minutes or less Mm -hmm. who has never met Jerry, who's never heard of him, and who has very little context for what that kind of a teacher and if what kind of teacher is that is the question that would come to mind. If you had five minutes or less to introduce Jerry to somebody who with whom you'd never speak ever again, and who had no previous background, what would you say? Who's Jerry stalking? What does he do?
1: Um, well, I'd say that if you need somebody to, um, to provide some sort of a shift any kind of a shift um away from what you're currently doing to break habits Mm -hmm. to provide other options for those habits um and to free up things that are sort of ingrained that you might not even know are sort of you know that are habitual because he's going to be looking at habitual on a deeper level than than just the the most kind of obvious day-to-day He's gonna be looking at the um the habitual nature of your thinking and and doing the kind of underneath that obvious level. And I, I can't think of anybody better to provide that kind of novelty and and shift.
0: Boy, yeah, shift you're gonna get in the same room with Jerry. <laughs> yeah, and unless he doesn't want show. you to shift You're Uh going to. That's just how that goes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he's all about that.
0: Now, I would like to say as a personal experience that I should describe for folks, for you, for others, for myself, that Jerry's work has given me access to levels of performance and self-expression and self-knowledge that I don't suspect would have become available to me had I not done his work and really taken it on. You and I have both really taken on studying with Jerry, and the ripple effect that that has had in my life is not something that can be easily described but I'm going to tell a little anecdote how about this how about this one okay check this out this is from probably about 5 years ago and I was in someone's home in San Jose California I'm now snacking on a little cheddar cheese while I'm drinking sparkling mineral water and at this time I was doing neither of those things I was in a man's home and I think it was San Jose Was definitely California, and this man is—I forget his name actually—but he's a maybe it was Jose. He's a very powerful, very very gifted hands-on energy healer. I've had a number of such people work on me in this life, and I've I've been doing hands-on energy healing myself since I was a teenager. I will—I've never forgotten this one session with this one man. His work is that significant. If you have one session with him, it's so good and so remarkable. Even even one session, you'll, you're probably not ever going to forget it. He was a very, very sweet person. There was nothing said in the session. It was probably about an hour, maybe an hour and a half. It's profoundly beneficial for my health and well-being on many, 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 many levels. And I was in a deep silence after the treatment because there was... The feeling of having been under his hands for an hour, hour and a half, was so blissful. The bliss was so profound. I couldn't speak for probably about ten minutes, even after I'd gotten the table put off the table, put my shoes back on, and all that. But when, let's call him Jose, I think it was, I think that was his name, Jose. When he saw that I could speak again, had my shoes on, and was ready to have an interaction, he said the first thing he said he said, who's Jerry? Hmm. and I said, Jerry is a teacher that I've been studying with for many years and Jose said, Jerry is very close to you energetically and he's he's working with you continuously and he's supporting you So who's Jerry? Well, Jerry is somebody whose presence is powerful enough that a sensitive hands-on energy healer who has no idea who Jerry is knew who Jerry was by name and asked me about him first thing right out of the session. And even if that story hadn't happened to me, I still would have known. But when that happened, I knew perhaps in maybe even a richer sense that Not only did it benefit me to study with Jerry, but what Jerry said one time in one course, one of the first courses I took with him, he said, it would benefit you to have your attention on me any time for the rest of your life. And I've studied with Jerry many times, been in many in-person trainings and listened to lots of audio recordings of his work also. And I am conscious of there's like a continual stream of benefits that Jerry can provide and is providing in some way that I don't really understand I don't know the mechanism of that it's a mysterious thing but it's quite real and it can be tangibly felt so that's a little attempt on my part to sort of introduce who in the world is Jerry stalking
1: yeah that gets to um, that gets to some of the sort of magic of the interaction and the, the experience of being around Jerry or working with yes. him um, that gets to some of the magic, which I wasn't, uh, um, there's so much there with, with Jerry, so much that he's offered that I, um, I wasn't even going to mention the, the magic part. Cause that, that's sort of something that you, that you encounter and you realize, Oh, there's another level of this.
0: Um, Many levels. And, and heavens, for
1: well. me, um, it was easy to be intoxicated by that aspect of things and overlook some of the more mundane details of what's, what's happening. What am I learning? Uh, how am I applying this to myself? How um, is, you know, it, that for me, muddied my perspective of everything that was going on because there was such a uh, a tremendous energy to being with Jerry or to engaging with his work in any fashion. Uh, it's, it uh, can be a little bit intoxicating and, um, and it's great. Uh, and, and certainly worthy, um, uh, certainly worth mentioning here because that, that has always been a part of what he's up to. There's kind of an extra level of something that you feel, in being My engaged goodness, with yes. that stuff.
0: Yeah. My goodness. Yes. Now, I want to ask you about something specific now. Do you remember your impression or impressions from the very first time that you studied with Jerry in person, the very first in person course that you did?
1: Hmm. You went to Georgia. It
0: was an IC course, I do believe.
1: Uh, I did go to an IC course. It was actually in Houston, Texas. It was in Houston, okay. And that was in 2000, so it was it was actually 20 years ago. It was over 20 years ago now because it was in summer of 2000. Um, and I I had been to many sort of like uh, business, sort of personal development type things. I was engaged in a. Um, I, I was, uh, I was working on sales at that time in my life. I was trying out a sales job and there was a lot of, um, sort of motivation and, and different things that we would do on a regular basis. And so I'd been around that kind of stuff a bunch. And this was interesting because Jerry was doing some kind of a weird mix of, of that vein of thing and appealing to those sorts of people who were, who are into that. Um, And, and also mixing in a level of like, there's some magic here. There's some, there's something about spirituality. There's something about, and I'd, I'd almost never, I, in fact, I had never seen somebody mix those worlds so heavily. And I think it made him, probably very difficult to sell to people um he's been uh, from a combination of um the kind of energy that you feel around him and and the fact that he's engaging people that are outside of the world of sort of people who are looking for that because he's engaging people in the kind of professional space as well um i think it's it's easy for him to be called uh, or accused of being a, a guru and people get weirded out by him and things like that. And he's, I think f- throughout his career, he's, he's been quick to, um, to deny anything, anything like that, uh, that he's. I
0: have noticed that Jerry goes out of his way to have people get that he does not wish to be identified the way that some of the teachers who either are from the Far East or who are directly influenced by Far Eastern teachers would identify. For example, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if you go to a certain kind of monastery where what they're doing is called Zen Buddhism, there is likely to be a person in the monastery called the Zen Master, and that's actually appropriate as far as his title. He's identifying directly with particular Zen lineage and he can tell you who his Zen master was, and he will also know who his Zen master's Zen master was. and they can follow the train all the way back. In some cases, they even know the names all the way back to Buddha, actually. Jerry has made it explicitly clear many, many times, he does not wish to be considered that kind of a person. He doesn't want to be referred to as that kind of a person. He doesn't want people to relate to him as though he is that kind of a person. It was just somebody named Jerry Stocking, whose father was only ever the second oboe in the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. And his mother was a really, really, really great viola player who stayed home and loved him a whole bunch and who would hold him whenever he was sick. And he lived in Wisconsin. And that's... And Jerry also was... Uh, do you know will he was a world class handbag designer with his own chain of retail stores
1: yeah um that's that's an interesting wrinkle because it because of everything that he did after that because of course he he did that and then he ended up um in New York doing um you sort of think of like a or picture like a Wall street kind of a thing um but he wasn't selling bonds he was um It was a different...
0: Real Estate Limited Partnerships. Yeah, there you go. Mm -hmm. And he also became a stockbroker for Shearson Lehman Brothers. That's right. And then he broke every sales record in the history of Shearson Lehman Brothers, which at the time was more than 105 years old. And so he's done a (laughs) bunch of things. He studied hypnosis Mm -hmm. in the milieu specifically called neurolinguistic programming, but then he studied for quite a while, much more intensively, with Dave Dobson, who does hypnosis that is not called other, it's not called neuro linguistic programming. Dave Dobson called his work other than conscious communication. Uh-huh. And Jerry studied very intensely with Dave Dobson personally for a long time, to give you a sense of how powerful the hypnotist Dave Dobson was. No less a hypnotist than Richard Bandler says, "This is from Richard. When I want to hypnotize myself." I use Dave Dobson's voice in my head. Hmm. And many people would say, and I wouldn't disagree that Richard Bandler's the greatest living hypnotist, Dave was so good that Richard has a version of Dave Dobson that runs in Richard's head for Richard's benefit when he wants that. Yeah, that's who Jerry studied with one on one and in small groups for quite a long time.:
1: Yeah, and um, Dave is really interesting i i've I've looked at his stuff a little bit. Um, and I've uh, spent uh, a few hours listening to him and he's um, he reminds me of Jerry a lot if you've've gone there. yeah, it's, the influence really can interesting be missed. to sort of feel the and and there's some kind of subject areas that they like to to push on and um, yeah, it's fun it's fun to to jump into Dave Dobson's stuff a little bit and,
0: and clearly Jerry's got a huge influence from Dave. And yet, the goals of Jerry's work do seem to have something in common with people that we would call spiritual teachers. In other words, exactly the space that he's coming from or inhabiting in his own being, There is there is a wakeful quality to his presence, which in my experience of Jerry... Is more valuable than anything that comes out of his mouth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really yeah. believe that, and Jerry would probably love this if we could handle it. I do believe Jerry could teach an entire course during which he uttered not a single word, or during which he spoke only in Chinese. <laughs> and the whole room sure would
1: love to hear that.
0: <laughs> could get as much or more benefit. Mm-hmm. Than if he were speaking in our native language of English, and I really think that that's the case. I'm absolutely certain that's really something that would work beautifully because. And it was that energy healing session with Jose. That and by the way, that was like 18 years after the first course I'd taken with Jerry. That was not, or mm-hmm. maybe 17, 16 oh, wow. years later. Yeah. It was. It was not like I had just been with Jerry. No, it was.
1: Right.
0: It was 15 years plus after I first started studying with Jerry, and I hadn't even been to a Jerry's Stalking course recently at that point when I got that session. It had been a while since I'd been in Jerry's presence, like years at that particular point. So there is some way in which Jerry's presence and whatever it is about his presence that's unique is beneficial. And then there are ways in which He may give an exercise that seems completely nonsensical. One of my favorite ones at an in-person course was when I was in Clarksville, Georgia, which is where he taught for many years. And during lunch, one of the assignments was we had to buy something from a store and then return it and get our money back. But during that process, we were only allowed to use four or five phrases. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And the four or five phrases were not phrases that would have utility in either buying something or returning it. And I did that, and it went well. It went easily. It was no problem. (laughs) And one of the phrases, if I remember correctly, was, Michael! Michael! With a question mark. Another, what was another one? It was something like, that's been stained, or it was just, they were phrases that were total non sequiturs. They had no connection to each other, to the content of what we were doing. And it was great. I had a fantastic experience of buying something and returning it while using no language directly appropriate to that task. Mm -hmm. And another exercise you remember, eating lunch with a handful of other people, and the rule is no one is allowed to feed himself, so I have to put food in your mouth, you can put food in my Mm -hmm. mouth, but I I cannot put food in my own mouth. Mm -hmm. Beautiful experience, in fact, Mm -hmm. for me. What are some of your remembrances, highlights of, of Jerry Stocking courses, things you may have done?
1: Well, um, um, one is quite relevant to what you were saying about imagining that he could teach a course that was entirely silent, which is that I, I did a, a, a rather intensive uh, residential course um, at his, uh, his property in Georgia. A PR? And, and we had a session after dinner one night where he was just silent. Mm. And that was the most powerful session that anybody had ever experienced uh, with him. It was, um, and he, he spoke a little to give us some sense of what, what he was up to, but then he just sat quietly and, and sort of flowed something at us or with us Mm -hmm. or however. Um, Mm -hmm. and he basically said, um, and I forget at this moment if it was afterwards or before or, or what was going on, but we didn't have any question that there was something happening. Cause we could feel something happening mm-hmm. and we were all kind of, um, really, really caught up in that. So it was silent in the room, but we were all very busy. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. it was, it was intense. And, and he basically said at some point about that, that he, He really enjoyed being able to do that because uh, it was as if he could take the the training wheels off. He he was able to just to just be with us instead of having the structure of a course or any of this other stuff um, and, you know, trying to keep some narrative going or anything like that. It was just about offering something fully and we were blown away. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, and then also when it comes to his, um, sort of engaging people on a spiritual level compared to some of those other people that you talked about that are his influences, um, Jerry's stated aim is of course that his main objective in life and with his work is to wake people up. That's the whole point. Um, And so that's immediately going to feel different and and go in a different direction um, from some of those other people. Um, And yet he's using a lot of the power and a lot of um, the techniques and a lot of what he's learned in that world, which makes him a very interesting mix.
0: Indeed. If ever there was a one-off, Jerry Stalking is a one-off, that's for sure. Ooh. And thank God, a world that has two jerry stockings in it, that would be impossible. But I, um, I felt that that uniqueness that he so embraces about himself implicitly calls me to whatever uniqueness is authentically mine. And long range, that has been the impact of Jerry's work on me. Long range, I can absolutely say, with no reservation at all, that Jerry being willing to be so unique and so himself, unapologetically so, including when that looks like he's being a petty asshole or an asshole cranked up beyond... The ordinary use of the word asshole. (laughs) Yeah. The way in which he embraces who he is so directly has without question opened that possibility for me and allowed me to live a life that if I told you what I did today, it looks like, what is, what do you do do exactly? What is? So you went to Mm -hmm. a salon and. You got a free haircut from the best barber in Greece, and then you got on the internet and you helped a really talented singer in California. And now you're having a conversation about who knows what, about who knows who this person is. Somebody else is in Northern California. Yeah. But you live in Thessalonica, 10 minute walk from the walls of the Roman Empire, and 10 minute walk down the hill from my house is where Aristotle taught. I have a life that is so unique and beautiful and it's exactly mine and Mm -hmm. I completely love it and it has lots and lots and lots of free time and the things that I get paid to do are the things that I love to do the most in the world. And that's how my life shows up beautifully and as close to effortlessly as one can reasonably say about the act of living, which as we both know, isn't effortless, but (laughs) there is an effortless quality to the way in which my life shows up. Like it beautifully suits exactly me and only me. And I love every minute of it. And it's mine. Mm -hmm. And I do know that one of the reasons I have a life that's like that is because that's how Jerry let his life be. He has a life that works for him exactly for him. And, His presence and way of being supports me and did support me and continues to support me in living the life I'm meant to be living for myself. And I'm so profoundly grateful to him for that. Just beyond words grateful for
1: that. I I think it might be fun for us to talk a little bit about some of the different things, like even the content of some of the different things that he taught us. Um, any yeah, one of them we could talk about for a tremendous amount of time. Um, there are things like the relationship model, and um, it, we could we could go on and on with a. Lot we need another things, podcast
0: on the relationship
1: model. We need a whole podcast on that. Right, we should maybe exactly. do that
0: at some point if we have a two-hour podcast I mean, even on relationship. That might be fun in the future.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't mind doing that. Um, and he taught so many different things because, because of course he, part of his background was neuro-linguistic programming and, and modeling through that. And so he would build these models that had a beautiful application, um, to all of life. Um, and so the relationship model is a model of relating with people any kind of relationship any connection that you have to any person and then um you've got the references model which is a beautiful the, there are a lot of sort of psychology based um models and then he has uh his take on um behavioral economics and it, like, By the so way, many in, in, with respect got.
0: to the references model which is to this day one of my favorites that he ever made up mm-hmm. i have found the references model as useful for analyzing human beings as it is for exploring the structure of the history of the world not kidding mm-hmm. at all it is absolutely is every bit as useful for both of those functions who the fuck ever Made a model that is equally useful for analyzing human behavior as it is for analyzing the structural arc of world history. Well, that's the kind of stuff that Jerry Stocking gets up to. But there's, mm-hmm. a, I have a burning one. We mm-hmm. got to do this. Okay. I, I
1: so, I'd get excited if I, re- I mention that one.
0: <laughs> so, okay, you remember the IC exercise where we each take our Second response, seventh response, third response, ninth response, et cetera.: Sure,
1: sure, one of the one of the standards, yeah. Mm-hmm. right. Okay, so you set up what the numbers will be,
0: and what we'll do is we'll have the conversation that we're having, or whichever one we'll have, but through that exercise. So you pick the numbers and then we'll just go.
1: Oh, wait, are we doing this now?
0: Yeah. Oh, okay, so we're gonna do that yeah. exercise while we have the conversation
1: that we're having. Um, okay, um so hey, what are the numbers? We could do one seven twenty cycle through one seven twenty go. all right, mm-hmm. Maybe it would be fun to read a book during the podcast. Is there
0: from Jerry a passage you wish to share? <laughs>
1: Um, this may get uh disjointed really fast if we, if we do a whole bunch of this um and that's not my twentieth response um,
0: The poetry, which ends up being, well, this is life,
1: yeah, so so this. It gives a very quick experiential um, sense of how um, engaging with Jerry's work uh, invites new and interesting things to show up um, through a simple, kind of mechanical exercise. Um, because just just don't take your first response or your second response or your third response or your fourth, and and wait and see what else shows up. And if you do that. For any dur- little duration of time, you're going to see things that you wouldn't have seen or noticed otherwise um, and try to do it in a conversation. And, and here, we, here we go. It, it could get weird. Um, you can see me. You can hear, feel me pulling it back, of course, to something other than, than doing that 20th response. Um, but I think that's useful to mention.
0: The openings. One of the things that Jerry goes for as a way of working with his work is the stuff and holes conversation. you remember that? Uh Uh-huh, of course. For me, there's always been... There's always been a remembrance of that he's doing his own thing with that. And, however, he has a preference for the holes.
1: Uh-huh. So Maybe explain to the listener, because we, we know what we're talking about here, but maybe quick.
0: Yeah, well, would
1: you do that? Sure um stuff being kind of um in the simplest terms just sort of what our attention tends to gravitate towards would be all the stuff that sort of fills life all the objects of attention could be the stuff but the holes is all the sort of spaces between there um it's all the possibility it's all the and you can pay attention if you if you um if you have that idea to wait a minute, I could be paying attention to all that stuff between rather than to what we are all sort of trained as the common, to be the common objects of our attention. Um, and you start to notice that sort of the flow that's there, the flow of possibility, what, what does it feel like when you search for what you're looking for in your attention? What, what happens there? Rather than, oh, geez, I need to find something in my memory, and and I'm not I'm not okay right now because I I need to find that, and then I'll be okay because that's the whole purpose of what I'm doing with my mind right now. I just want to remember this thing, and I'm gonna get there. And oh no, that's not it. And meanwhile, there's all this stuff that's happening in your physicality and in your processing and in your um, that's just in the process of searching, just in the the act of searching for something, there's value right there. And so we can put our attention on that. And that would be that would be the holes and not the stuff.
0: So what I remember about the stuff and the holes is the dichotomy that it provides me. So I'm gonna run on that for a little bit. Okay. In the more profound view of life than Jerry takes and there's many ways of describing such a view there is that upon which or from which both the stuff and the holes manifest in other words prior to stuff prior to holes there is what has there even be such a possibility as stuff and holes? And what I've found is a much more profound access to being is to get that it has absolutely nothing to do, by which I mean life, life has nothing to do with either the stuff or the holes per se, It's a possibility that's arising. But the stuff-holes dichotomy is incredibly useful to perceive because our culture is all about stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, precisely. And so when there's a possibility that isn't just stuff – we have more room to play. However, the seductive tendency is to then just invert the game and say, "Well, it's most—it's all about the holes, then." And uh, uh, also, not about that is what I've discovered. Not about
1: that either. Mm-hmm.
0: Just to get yeah, the,
1: it's what about shows the up. Of, yeah, it's
0: it's coming from arising from being generated by, if you will, that which is prior to awareness, and prior to being, and so the stuff in the holes is a bit like a a dance, which dance we might say is called being
1: here. Mm-hmm. And and the fullness of that dance cannot be observed unless we can see both partners in the dance. And if, Absolutely. We're, just, if we're just watching the stuff, then we only see what, what one person's doing. maybe that's the leader of the dance or something or you know um, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. we're only watching half of the dance, and so we can't really be aware how much are we missing. Um, and so, um and and I think that actually brings me around to the main thing that I want to say about Jerry, which is that um, as interesting as the intricacies of all that he's taught us are, um, the most value um, that that he brings that it, what I sort of land upon when I'm appreciating him and, and the influence that he's had in my life um, and sort of the possibilities that he offers to humanity, I think, um, is about all that having having studied with Jerry, all that one can then notice in any given moment. I would say that is his primary value. His The primary value of his work is that he, greatly, greatly expands what any person can notice in any given moment.
0: And for me, that requires reverence. I mean, even acknowledging the possibility of what you just said. That is the the dimension of what he has a way of making available that strikes me as immediately sacred. It just can't be otherwise. It just is sacred. And it isn't even his work at that level that's sacred. It is that there is that which cannot be spoken. It can be spoken of, but which cannot be spoken, which is... And experiential access to that, capital T, for me, has been promoted, facilitated via experiences that Jerry has conducted for us and, and continues to, I assert.
1: Yes here we are in years from um, you know years after any any real interactions with them or anything like that still noticing that um, a fairly high percentage of what we notice and what we even I would say sort of like what we're proud of noticing <laughs> uh, observations that we make up uh, things that we would call ours and what we're building and what um, so much of that was made possible by Jerry. Because if you can notice any, if you can notice far more and more dimensions of um, your experience, um, I mean, that just opens the door to, to a whole new life okay turning a corner mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> with some with some profound gratitude here for what has arisen for me for us for folks via studying with Jerry I have had a consistent sense that Jerry is tapping into for himself and others that which is above his pay grade, and forgive the the terminology. Hmm. And I also believe that that continues to be the case for many people who have seriously studied with Jerry. What I mean by that is they have begun to be open to experiences and a way of experiencing for which they lack appropriate context. Sure. And that context is available. But the way that Jerry holds his work, for some people, has led them to suspect that there might not be anything as such a context And there is.
1: Yeah, well, he's drawing upon... uh, He's drawing upon... (laughs) I guess I don't know exactly how to say it. Um, He's drawing tremendous power from some place that... There are resources coming... From a place that he then wants to deny exists. Perfectly said. Perfectly perfectly said. said? Because I'm, I'm really stabbing. That was the. That was the. So.
0: That was the communication. Okay, you got it. You got it. And Um, I see this challenge as much in Jerry's life as it is in the lives of those who studied with him. And now. When late in his life, he began to explore psychedelics, which incidentally was the same time I began exploring psychedelics for myself, there becomes, what would you say, a a sense of being where there's an intimate connectedness a sweetness, a gentleness that becomes a context for learning of this profound kind. And my experience of Jerry's sort of later years development is that he's more and more tapped into a sort of a gentle, kind, humble, holy, loving, way of being which becomes probably for him because of doing quite a bit of psychedelic exploration a broader context not only for his work but for living and not to get too pop culturey, but when the Beatles sang all you need is love they were on to something They're very much onto something. And just because it sounds trite in a pop song like that, it doesn't mean it is trite. There's a reality of that, which makes a very good container when it's consciously acknowledged for spiritual growth and for learning and for development and pursuit of goals and radical kinds of exploration and sharing and Challenging oneself and one's others, one's fellows, when that context is present and acknowledged as a reality which is a greater reality than me or any of us, but to which we all somehow owe ourselves, then we have more room to play because that's the case. (laughs) And as allergic as Jerry is to the word, I'm going to use it because that's the truth.
1: Oh, that is one of the the words that he's allergic to. It's funny. Yes. I've, I've done some writing. Yeah, sort of like I, I don't need to send it to him. He doesn't necessarily need to hear it, but for myself and kind of disentangling um, different things in, in my heart and mind and everything about, his work and his influence upon me. I've done quite a bit of writing, and um, one is a, a conversation with Jerry where I <laughs> I addressed uh, truth and I addressed his his um, some of the things that he's kind of allergic to. Some of the things that that habitually come up as like um, favorite topics or favorite um, villains or favorite um, you know patterns.
0: And there's a weird irony to that Jerry tends to be anti-religious because he does have a religion.
1: What's his religion?
0: It's not structured the way that religions are structured. It's just structured the way that this one is, and it's nihilism.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, his spin on it tends to be a pleasurable growth-slash-enjoyment spin of nihilism, but it is nihilism. Mm-hmm. And if you explore that and then really dig into what is that philosophically, that is it. And it is not just occasionally, that's very consistently.
1: Mm -hmm. And I do wonder, I have to say, I do wonder if that's what he operates from on a daily basis. Um, I think that it's a tool that he leans heavily on a kind of nihilistic interpretation of things, a kind of... He leans heavily on it as a tool in courses um, because, again, he's he's trying to find other ways to navigate familiar territory for people. And so he, whatever's going on, he needs other ways out from the way that they t- generally tend to take. So in those moments, he will often, uh, uh, something nihilistic is often very useful because People hadn't done that there, and he. He'll now, do I would that over say and over that he and over is again. And, mm-hmm. a
0: ahead. nihilist, and doesn't always behave as one because he has been married and has children, and there is a way in which he taps into something that is not nihilistic. This reminds me of one of my favorite Jerry Stalking anecdotes. This was in the very first course that I did when I was 21 years old in Clarksville, Georgia. And Jerry's kids, Emily and Judson, were very, very young at that point. And they were spending time with some people that were babysitting them while Jerry was teaching the course. But one afternoon, I think it was Zoe, might have been somebody else, but I think it was Zoe, and maybe one of the person who brought Emily and Johnson into the back of the course room while Jerry was teaching. And they didn't come up to the front. they just stayed at the back for a little bit, but Jerry did introduce them. And he stopped and his, his demeanor shifted. There was nothing other than just a profoundly expansive, loving, beaming presence. And it wasn't like Jerry shifted gears at all. It was that he just up-leveled his game in their presence. And he pointed to his children and he said, this is what my work is really for. And then he explained. He said that I'm having, I'm going to paraphrase Jerry, but what he said was that I'm having this impact, this influence on you that I'm having, that's going to have you be more awake in your lives, be more creative, be more free to create, you're going to make a better world. And then that better world is the one that my kids are going to get to live inside of. And he said, for me, that's the, that's the real game. That's what I'm really up to. My work is having there be a better world because of all of you. And then my kids get to live in that. And that's what, that's why I'm really doing this. That's what this is really for. And in that moment, he tapped into something which is, there is nothing nihilistic about that, nothing whatever. Mm -hmm. But his personal life and his teaching are, I would say, generally speaking, a fairly congruent nihilistic whole, except that he has enough experiences from his own childhood and from being a parent. And his remembrances of his mother, one of the best examples I know of. Did you ever, do you remember the email he sent out? Got an email, which was a recording of Schubert, gorgeous Schubert chamber music that his mother made with her friends in his living room when he was a little boy.
1: Uh, I I don't. It was
0: fantastic. It could have been Deutsch Grammophon. I mean, it was that good. It was. It wasn't that good audio quality compared to Deutsch Grammophon. But the performance was, it was A1 classical chamber music. It was from Jerry's living room, when his mama and her, his, her friends got together and just made a recording of some. Schubert. I've heard
1: references to this, but I've never, I've never heard the recording.
0: It's magnificent. That's totally magnificent. I probably don't have it anymore. I would send it right over to you, but it's gorgeous, freaking gorgeous. Not only is it classical chamber music played about as well as it can be played. That was his mother and her friends in his living room. That music is also not nihilistic, and that music was running through his body constantly, nonstop, created live in person by the best classical musicians on earth from when he was even in his mama's womb. And then his mother loved him in a way that was, again, not at all nihilistic. And so there are ways in which Jerry has been loved on and loved into, and ways in which he has profoundly loved others, and all all nihilisms out the window. At that point. and I feel like the challenges or the downsides of Jerry's behavior are something like the fight between nihilism and authentic love for want of more effective language. But in other words, I'm saying that Jerry's weak on moral philosophy and the challenges he's run into in his life and which his students have run into, in as much as they take his work as a rubric for their lives, is a spiritual immaturity that manifests in the moral domain. But it is a spiritual immaturity. And there's a pretense that the broader contexts are laid out by the historic ancient religions of the world, say Taoism, Buddhism, Christianity, to take three off the top of my head, are somehow outmoded or not relevant or not real or and no, uh, yeah, nonsense. <laughs> uh, real and accurate and truthful context in which to live is the only way to have a life that works all the way down. And Jerry's also a skinnerian in a sense, and mm. the mm, Chomsky skinner conflict is point. it's very clear which side of that jerry comes down on but people who do things like leonard bernstein they come down on the chomsky side that's just how it goes because beauty is a kind of truth and so there are conflicts that exist inside of jerry which then spin out in the way that he holds his own work so some of his work i've just been absolutely ravished by and it's profoundly useful and i remember one time you sent me i think it was maybe some of the cluster calls and it was so ridiculously nihilistic, I had to turn it off immediately. The way of being in which the actual specific exercises, the energetic container for it was so nonsensical is to be insulting to the reality of human being in my experience. So there's a lot, there's a lot of variety in, in what shows up in Jerry and around his work.
1: Again, so again, he's, he's cultivating flexibility. That's his his chief aim, I would say, or his chief technique is to find ways, new ways to wiggle out of familiar things and familiar moments and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. um, and I believe that that's something, as you say, that he's he's cultivated in his life as well. Uh, he uh, is an Enneagram one and is going to approach things with. He's going to have rules about everything. He's naturally as in any yes. point, he's going to have rules about absolutely everything. And so um, his, one of his strategies ends up getting in, um, enforced in courses and on students and all these things. But one of his strategies for not being um, so uh, confined by rules is to have rules that undo rules. Yes. And nihilism is is another way to say a lot of those are going to feel very nihilistic. And he does have rules, explicit rules, to undo rules.
0: Clearly, clearly. And there is sometimes a ground for a given bit of work which... is wrong to be straight. It's just actually wrong. By which I mean a wrong view of what it is to be a human. And work that is done where there's a wrong view in the mix philosophically, now I am sensitive enough energetically that when that is what's arising, I say, no, thank you. I'm out. It's not necessarily to say that it's some sort of, I'm certainly not saying by any means, that it's a degree of contamination that makes usefulness leave. But sometimes the contamination comes to the fore enough that for me, the usefulness is gone. And so that's part of my own journey of growth and development and learning is to distinguish not merely in language, although language is important for this, but to distinguish and experience what I value and what what I value feels like. And for example, if I like going to restaurants wherein the food is prepared competently such that it tastes good and the ingredients are of high quality, I make no bones about the fact that I would choose that over poor quality food prepared incompetently. And the same thing is true about the domain of philosophy. There is philosophy which is a party to life, which is supporting of life, and there is philosophy that is anti-life. And these things create a vibrational field, if you will, or an ambiance, like a a sensory ambiance. And that ambiance, when one is sensitive enough to it, can be and often is much more powerful than literally any content that's being run in the space of it. And yet that doesn't necessarily get in the way because there isn't some sort of a limitation that says, well, because occasionally the false manner in which this work is being held, the philosophical lies that are the enshrouding of the actual exercises... Although that may show up like that when it does, it doesn't mean that that's always running the show. It certainly isn't always running the show. And something is running the show at another level, overarchingly, I would say. The the overarching trajectory is that people get access more nearly to who they are by the time they spend in Jerry's presence. And I say that is an objective good, a real good, not made up or merely about more flexibility. It is the case, authentically. There's something beneficial that's available through him, and consistently, more or less, which is the case for all of us. We're all more or less consistent.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He does not appear to be offering courses at this point in time. But I can say that if, uh, you know, uh, despite um, complaints that I've had or have, um, I, I mean, I would jump at a course if I could, if I could take another course, I would like to take one more course, you know.
0: There's one way that I could, state my criticism of Jerry's work in about a sentence. Oh, go for it. That I would say to somebody who was considering doing Jerry's work and hadn't ever before. And I would also say this to people that have done Jerry's work for a long time and have gotten a lot of benefit, people like myself. Great. And it's this. This man thinks he knows what life's about.
1: Hmm.
0: He doesn't. Just that. He thinks he knows what life's about, and he doesn't.
1: Right. Yeah, so he's... And that doesn't negate uh, tremendous insight and tremendous... There isn't a... Not a bit. I understand this uncommon understanding and therefore i am better positioned to judge this world and understand this world than others that that actually doesn't follow but and it doesn't it doesn't undo the value of what he does understand and does offer
0: well said well said and it's just that it's just that little adjustment that i believe if someone makes for himself going into working with Jerry, it leaves a lot of room. It leaves a lot of room to benefit profoundly, to grow and to change magnificently. And this flaw is a flaw that all of us share, and the flaw goes like this. Sometimes I make the mistake of believing my own
1: thoughts. That's all. And which of us doesn't make that mistake an awful lot? I think that in Jerry's case, um, one of the main additions to that kind of a dynamic uh, has to do with his fight between kind of Eastern thinking and Western thinking and and his identifying um, and his success within – the Western world. I mean, his professional life and a lot of, you know, he's, he's taking a lot of this stuff to people um, in, you know, regardless of what walk of life they're in and and he's marketing it in the Western world stuff. I'm, I shouldn't go too far down that. Um, But, um, which is, Oh no. I think I distracted myself.
0: No, you said it you, you're you brilliantly giving your play prelude to just this. He's radically individualistic in a oh, hyper-Western well, sense. I know, I know sense. what I was
1: going to say. Uh, it's embarrassing to lose track like that. But basically, he really values his ownership of whatever he's noticed. Ah, I noticed His that. personal ownership. This is mine. Yep. And that ends up being... And and I wonder how he's delusional doing
0: that now. is what it ends up being. It ends up being freaking delusional. You found this in the specific case of the relationship model. He found something. He didn't make it up. And that's great. It's great to find something. Like when that energy healer Jose was working on me, he didn't make up that Jerry was in there in my field. He just found that Jerry was there. Jose would have been a delusional man if he thought that he generated a being called Jerry that he found in my energy field. But Jose wasn't delusional and he was humble enough to just say, who's Jerry? So I could tell him.
1: And Jerry will certainly, for example, he'll he'll, uh, author books and give it the title uh, Mother Nature or packs or, you know, he's done things like this, Mm -hmm. which, because I think he recognizes this within himself, but it's, it's, it's deep seated on multiple levels. And he has a fundamental, like a, um, protecting himself response. If you try to talk about his work with him in any way, things like this. Um, and, and so you, you'll bump up against that kind of hardness in him from time to time around, hey, this is mine. This is what I offer. This is what I'm doing. I, you know? Um, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's nihilism plus I've mismatch. Done, right? That's his religion.
0: Yeah. What's that? Nihilism plus mismatch plus, plus this is mine. <laughs> There's the ah, We got it. It's the three. We have the three tenets of the religion of Jerry Stocking. Nihilism, mismatch, and gosh darn it, this is mine. Those are the three delusions of, which form
1: Jerry's religion. I, I'm a little concerned about harping on him too much. Um, I, I I don't want to, um, in a podcast, spend too much time. I mean, this is somebody who's offered so much value to us and to this world um, that we have our own um, – we have our fights I mean if somebody has influenced you more than just about anybody else in your life, you're gonna have a bit of a fight with just how much I mean because he come basically Jerry and the and the perceptions that he's offered come up all over the place in our lives if we've studied with him and well
0: this is, this is where I have a, yeah. a beautiful access to lovingly connecting to the man. And it's simply this, I don't believe that people's ideas are theirs either. So when I discover some ideas or beliefs or values that somebody is holding that I see as bad, wrong, and an obstacle to love, I don't believe that that's even his. I can identify the delusion as the delusion that it is, but it isn't his and I don't even give him credit for it. So nihilism, Jerry didn't make that up. Messmatch? He didn't make that up either. And this is mine, he didn't make that up either. Those are all philosophical realities that are stuck in him, and they're lies that are stuck in all of us in one way or another, or have been. So I don't I don't even give him credit for that. I just say, okay, that's that's just what's running. It's kind of like if you have a PC that got a virus. And you just notice, or you have some computer diagnostician tapping this, is "Oh, it's it's this virus and that one and this other X Y Z one." It's not saying the computer is bad. It's saying that's the specific software that doesn't work that's running on the thing. That's all. Mm-hmm. But it's not. It doesn't equals oh bad person or bad machine or bad Absolutely. just just Absolutely. to say all right, there's some stuff that's I running over there, and that's what that's called. It actually has terms and. Took me a while of being more philosophically in my life and also studying and living out philosophy in, in a real practice to be able to notice things like that about people. And especially with Jerry, it took me many years to be able to. And even in this podcast, whoa, look at that. Nihilism plus mismatch plus this is mine. Those are Jerry's favorite three delusions. And what's amazing is they don't always run the show by any stretch of the imagination but they are in there to do that And so hitler's thing about jews didn't apparently get in the way of hitler's relationship with dogs and children according to what i've heard he was, he was good with dogs and children <laughs> and i do believe that there are people that are responsible for terrible things in the world, like really bad things that also have really sweet and lovely offerings. Because the part of being a human is that we can have X with Y, whatever X is and whatever Y is, it seems somehow. You managed to do that. <laughs> I'll just put these two in the mix. Never mind, it's freight trains and hippopotamuses. But we can say, oh, there's a freight train, there's a hippopotamus. All right, cool. and Jerry's way of being that is very loving tends to be coming from such a profoundly deep place in him that it's 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 in charge often enough that that vibe benefits people profoundly all the time regardless of of what may or may not be the case or true or false in his thinking. And to even thicken the plot, and I got access to that kind of ability to make a distinction, like you're not your patterns, in large part from being with Jerry. You're not your patterns of thinking either. You're not even your belief system. You're something much more profound than that.
1: That brings up um, another aspect of this that I think is really important to mention here, uh, alongside Jerry's work, which is that it's in the vein of all the sorts of things that we can do, um, which are about waking us up and bringing attention to things that are automatic. Um, And we are today in this world where we are increasingly encouraged to be um, more automatic. We have corporations with a huge vested interest in um, playing upon our automaticity and encouraging more of it. Um, That's sort of where their profits lie. specific ex- example. I mean, probably a lot comes to mind, but just to be specific, you know, there, like Google has, uh, and all these different apps sort of, they're designed to addict us and things like that. So I'm talking about that sort of thing. And that's very pervasive, increasingly pervasive in modern life. And so I'd say that um, finding ways to wake up and be less automatic are more valuable than ever.
0: They're closer to survival level skills. than maybe ever
1: before Mm -hmm.
0: just to not go crazy or die the kind of work that jerry's done i'm absolutely clear that the work that jerry's done with me and for me and that i've done with him and from his work has had me survive not only survive as in that i'm still biologically viable and awake able to have a conversation with you but Given me access to something like sanity, something like play and playfulness in the mix of living rather than merely just being daunted by whatever's showing up in the world. And I do find that challenges arise because, hey, they do in life. And yet there's a way to be with the Whatever's arising out there, like I'm not a big fan of living in Greece right now where they have a curfew at 10 p.m., as though somehow they're going to magically contain a virus by having people not be able to take a walk after 10 p.m. <laughs> Just, obviously, it's not the case. And yet, my personal life at this time is really great. I'm enjoying my life more than ever. And I feel as though I'm learning and growing more than ever. And a huge part of my ability to do that and to have that kind of an experience of myself in my life comes from the resourcefulness that I learned from being with Jerry. No doubt
1: about it. Absolutely. Um...
0: And I really get. Really, truly get that I have access to consistently thriving. Thank you, God. Thanks be to God. And a massive facilitation of that in my life has been being a student of Jerry Stocking. And I have nothing but continual gratitude to that man and for that man for his courage, for his creativity, for his tenacity, for his even irascibility at times. And he has a whole lot of that. But it's irascibility that is very, very, very often wielded creatively and usefully for people. And that's again shown me something which I needed to be shown in order to be able to live fully and well and joyfully.
1: Um, What would you say are some key takeaways from Jerry's work that we haven't mentioned? Ooh. Oh.
0: Writing that question like a wave. That is a good question. Okay. Number one. Get to know yourself on the level of the subtle, tiny little internal behaviors which are how you generate you being you. Get to know yourself continually on that level. That would be that would be thing one. Okay, what's number two?
1: Uh, are you asking me? Yes. Oh, um, I think that's that's related to one of mine, which is that um, that the things that people generally try to change in their lives are often way too big to work with. They're sort of big pieces. They're they're influenced by so much that's smaller and Mm -hmm. so much that happens earlier in their processing and so much that may be tied to um you know all kinds of things that are going on automatically and that are, are unobserved. And so Jerry's work will have you bring attention to things that are further upstream and and smaller pieces. And these pieces also are generally not guarded. We are Regarding all the kind of big aspects of our personality and this is how I operate and this is I, but maybe, you know, when we, when we run a particular behavior, um, that's influenced by, um, the tone of voice of something that we're hearing in our head or something like that, but we're not guarding that tone of voice. We're not even noticing that tone of voice. We're not even, and so can we change the color of that? Can it be a different person? Can it be Mickey mouse? Can it, you know, um, and there are all kinds of little nuances there that can be shifted that have an influence.
0: Um, I love that. So number two is huge. I'm going to give an illustration of number two. A while back, I saw a YouTube video, and you'll appreciate this as well, and the YouTube video was of a master class being taught by Pavel Tsatsulin, who is one of the best known, if not, no, he's definitely the best known kettlebell trainer on the earth at this point. The only place where he wouldn't generally be considered that is in Russia, because he comes from Russia, which is where they have people that have been doing this for a really long time. But he's taken it outside of Russia and made it huge. And he's freaking brilliant at it. He was the, if I understand correctly, he was the physical education person for the Soviet Union's Black Ops Special Forces type people. So he's super elite when it comes to physical and human performance. And this video that I watched, I think it was about five or six minutes, not long at all on YouTube, He's teaching this master class and he brings a man up to the front of the room who was an older gentleman. If you look at this older gentleman, it's pretty clear he's not an athletic dude. He's not going to do anything very impressive. And even a basic squat or a forward bend for this man, forget about it. Forget about it. Less than five minutes, Pavel watches him very, very carefully and shows him... some tiny little micro-adjustments to the way the man habitually moves his physiology.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: What do you know? The man can squat less than five minutes. And the adjustments that Pavel was having him make were so micro. Now, I pay pretty close attention to human physiology. have for a long time. I have to be a healthy man in a healthy body to be a good musician, which is what I do with my life. I was astonished at the subtlety of the adjustments that Pavel noticed this man had to make. But the increase in performance from those tiny, tiny little subtle adjustments, the man basically experienced himself as almost being in a different body within a few minutes because of these tiny little things which Pavel could notice and have him change. And Jerry's work has people get access to that kind of change, but more holistically, more across the board.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, boom, there's number number two. Now, you gave me in that the segue to number three, which is this. Okay. Pay attention to your body. Ah. <laughs> and notice your body, be yeah. your body. And Jerry's coaching advice to everybody that's ever taken a course, which is access to this is please dance for at least three minutes a day, every day for the rest of your life. If you're not getting access to your body, you're missing massively missing a large part of your resourcefulness as a human.
1: Yeah. And as you know, that's, that's where I'm centered.
0: Thank God for that. And that's what the world needs now. Um, That was something to to live in their bodies.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, And that was always important to me, but I didn't know it. And being in Jerry's work has not only um, deepened that sense of my, my sense of physicality and and my ability in that domain, but um, it is is made me conscious of it and and let me know that this is what's important to me. And because I was able to explore um, myself with greater, um, you know, w- with his tools, um, with greater resourcefulness. Um, I'm gonna. And- so
0: those are the three. Pillars of
1: Jerry's work.
0: And I'm going to add a fourth bonus one.
1: Great. Well, I might add some more.
0: (laughs) And this is to do with my interaction with you. You and I have been friends since before either of us did Jerry's work. I turned you on to it by giving you a tape set of an illusion Mm -hmm. conclusion course. Then you went and did an in-person course. And I said, well, then I'm definitely going to do an in-person course. And we both kept studying with him. But what I mean is though we share Jerry's work has given us access to really wonderful ways to play with each other to interact with each other mm-hmm. and that's one of the most wonderful benefits about the man's work is it it opens up ways to be with people quite wonderfully and so i thank you for this conversation my friend is there anything that you would like to share or add before we conclude
1: yeah, a really succinct description of what I've gotten from Jerry is a curious and exploratory approach to life and, and my experience.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. His work is held within the context of a voracious curiosity about life itself, and just gorgeously so whether fasting or mountain biking or investments or neuro-linguistic programming or philosophy or classical music. Yes, indeed, Jerry's curiosity about life. My goodness, it's just gorgeous and endless and very, very, very rewarding to tap into that level of, I would say, appreciation for life in every dimension of it. Well, my dear friend Will, thank you very much for this conversation and for sharing this with me.
1: You're welcome. Thank you for the invitation.
0: It's absolutely a pleasure. Bye for now. All right. Take care.